Grow Great is a city government leadership podcast with Lisa Norris and me, Randy Cantrell. Each week we share insights, experiences, and wisdom to help you and your leadership grow great. Our website is growgreat.com. Let's talk about three things that you must do to build a high-performing team. Hi, Randy Cantrell. Lisa, she'll be back joining me next week. Let's talk about these three things. There are many, many things that you can do, but these are three things that you must do if you're going to build a high-performing team or an organization. Number one, you, the leader, must have a clear purpose and mission. You have to know why you're in it. And you have to know what it is. High-performing teams are not constructed based on pure logic or reason. They need an emotional oomph. You know, they need this genuine reason for existing, something big to take a collective aim at. And there's all kinds of stories in the business sector. Apple probably most notable. I mean, Apple is this unprecedented behemoth begun by Steve Jobs and his tyrannical pursuit of what he had in his head. And he was able to assemble people around him, particularly in key positions, people who saw what he saw and who wanted to be part of it. I've been married to the same woman, my one and only, for over 45 years. We began dating when we were 18 years old. And we fell in love because, well, at 18, I had this great career. I had a nice house. I had a strong investment portfolio. I had a new car. Yeah, hashtag not. No, I had school. I I had a car, fairly nice car. I had a house. No, I didn't have a house. I didn't have any investments. I lived at home. But those are rational, physical things that didn't matter. She worked at the Waffle House. She was going to college. She lived with her large family in this little modest frame house in Fort Worth, Texas. And I was 11-hour drive away. Those, Those things didn't matter. Imagine trying to fall in love or get somebody to fall in love with you because of those logical things. I mean, love doesn't have anything to do with those things, and high-performing teams work the same way. You would never sit down across from somebody at the first date and begin to spew forth how much money you make, what your investment portfolios look like. I'm not saying that that, you know, I'm not saying that couldn't get you somebody, (laughs) but it probably wouldn't get you true love. High performers or would-be high performers They aren't going to be attracted to organizations who can pay the most and offer the most benefits. I have this conversation on way too regular a basis with leaders who lament the fact that they can't find people. I understand. I get it. It's difficult. I'm not saying it's not difficult. But what drives me crazy is the thought that, man, if if we could offer more money, as though high performers are making these decisions with their careers based on the logic of, listen, who can just pay me the most money? Who can offer me the most benefits? I've got a friend who is involved in some work with the major league soccer team here in Dallas. And of course, Messe, the 
the cream de la cream of soccer players and the kind of money that some of these guys make and the number of people who have been offered just extremely crazy amounts of money to go play and in some cases turned it down to accept still seemingly crazy and insane amounts of money. And it's like, well, if the very best soccer players in the world just, as people like to say, sold out, and if they just took the highest compensation, why aren't they? Well, because there's more to it than that. And if compensation or benefits were, if that was the case, then only the large organizations that historically could offer those benefits, they would lock on to every high performer. But that simply doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in soccer. It doesn't happen in city government. It doesn't happen in the private sector because we can find high performers in all sorts of places that sometimes are nowhere near the top of the pay ladder. So there is something more in play. My wife and I fell in love because we had a connection. Our personalities, our experiences, our views resonated with each other. In short, we got one another. And from that connection, we felt safe with one another. And we loved each other because together we were something far better than whatever we could have been by ourselves. Being a couple not only felt wonderful, the thought of not being a couple, it was incomprehensible. And high-performing teams experience a similar feeling. It begins with a leader who has a vision so clear. They know that the most passionate recruits matter. And without passionate teammates, the leader knows that the ideal outcome is beyond reach. Number two, you the leader... You have got to be fanatical to find folks who get it. Not just anybody can be part of your team. Not if you want a high-performing team. Only people who see what you see and are willing to devote themselves to that make the cut. Now, just suppose that some of you, well, I don't have to. I, I know some of you are thinking, well, this is completely impractical. I mean, can I challenge you to see a different viewpoint will you at least give me enough latitude to let me do that let's suppose that this is impractical let's suppose that it is too difficult so we don't hold this standard and we begin to hire folks who don't get it we begin to hire folks who can't see it and we justify it by telling ourselves how desperately we need people. And so we just start adjusting our expectations down. Now, let's stick with my marriage metaphor. I know it's not the same. I'm not saying that it is the same, but there are similarities, and there are probably way more of them than you think. And your high-performing team is important enough to avoid compromise. If it's not important enough to avoid compromise, then it's not important enough to even be thinking about creating a high-performing team because my question would be, what difference does it make then? I mean, go ahead, build a mediocre team and just call it a day. Just be satisfied that average, mediocre, even below average, that's just going to be good enough. You can do that. 
So my wife or I, we could have thought, you know, this this person's okay. I mean, I like them well enough. They're, they're not ideal, but they'll do. Is that the basis for a love affair? You think that's the basis for a 45 going on 46-year marriage? Ah, they'll do. <laughs> then why do we say those exact words when we interview people to become part of our team? We huddle with our team after the fact. We've interviewed four people, let's say, and we talk about these people, and none of them seems ideal, but we say to one another, well, you know, this one, you know, candidate A, well, but candidate B, you know, they'll do. I can tell you why we do that, because we're lazy. We do it because we're lazy. We don't want to put in the hard work to find the ideal people because we want to accept the excuses that everybody else commonly uses. It's too hard. We can't find good people. If only we could afford to pay more, then we would get better people. No, you wouldn't because you're not devoted enough to it. You're not willing to put in the work. Listen, duh, if it weren't hard, everybody would do it. That's why most organizations are not high-performing. In fact, most of them aren't even close. Now, never mind that I have always followed the advice when everybody else is zigging, zag. Mark Twain said, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. And it may be time for you to pause and reflect. General Electric, General Motors, IBM, Disney, FedEx, Microsoft, Hewlett-Packard, and there's a bunch of others were all founded during an economic depression. Depression. I've thought about this through, you know, maybe during tough times it's easier to find folks who are willing to become part of something much bigger than themselves. I don't know. I, I know this. There are a lot of variables to the origin stories of all of these and many other companies like them that were formed in a depression, an economic depression. But it is not lost on me how powerful beginnings can solidify the foundation of great organizations, great teams. Now, hopefully, we're not foolish enough to marry any person that comes along. My wife and I dated for over two and a half years before we got married. And by that point, we were certain. How certain are you about your team members? How certain are you about that person that you're fixing to hire? How certain are you about the next person that you're thinking about inviting to join your team? No, we're not going to take a two-and-a-half-year period to figure this out. But we're not going to say yes to every applicant either. Take your time to find the people who get it the way you get it, people with whom you resonate, people who resonate with you, and people who resonate with what you're pursuing, people who get it, they see it, and they want to be part of it. We need people who want to go where we're headed because our purpose is congruent with their purpose. Number three, high standards, higher accountability. People who are high performers and those who are learning to be thrive in being and becoming part of something that's not available to people unwilling to pay the price. And the exclusivity isn't based on our value as people, as humans. Rather, it's based on our willingness to commit and do the work. Now, there will be some good humans 
who don't belong on your team because of this. Yes, Virginia, there are some bad humans, but nobody wants bad humans on their team. High-performing teams are very discriminating to only accept the people most ideal to contribute to the mission. Listen, that's why we hear so much talk about fit. Not everybody is fit for your high-performing team. If they are, then you don't have a high-performing team. Every branch of our military, they've got rigorous early training. It's designed to build in the conformity that's necessary for troop survival, but it's also designed to eliminate those unfit for the service. The more advanced, the more high-performing the team, the more rigorous that process to eliminate those who don't belong. In short, the more elite the group, the more high-performing they are. And the more high-performing they are, the more discriminating they are, the more exclusive they are. That's why only 1% of the Navy, there's Navy SEALs. 99% of all Navy personnel are not Navy SEALs because to be a Navy SEAL is not for everybody. You have to be special. You have to be extraordinarily special. How special do people have to be to join your team? The less discriminating you can be, the lower the performance you can accept. The more discriminating you are, the higher the performance you will require to join and to remain. Do you think Navy SEALs have a higher degree of pride and commitment than the other 99% of the U.S. Navy? Yeah, of course they do. Extraordinarily so. They know how special they are. They know the expectations on them are significantly higher. They thrive. They thrive on that responsibility. They thrive on that higher accountability. And it would all be wrecked if the SEALs decided, eh, you know, it's hard. It's hard, to find, it's hard to find guys that can do this. It's hard to find people that can do this. So we need to lower our standards. That would be tantamount to we need to pay more money. We just, we just, now you've got to meet the market. I'm not saying that, but don't fool yourself into thinking that the thing that's standing in your way of building a high performing team is you can't pay top, top dollar and offer top, top benefits. It just simply isn't true. Lowering your standards, lowering your accountability, that will kill your high performing culture. So what does all this mean? Well, these three things I hope spur you on. And hopefully you now understand, if you didn't before, that high-performing teams are not ordinary. They're not average. Almost every leader thinks they have a high-performing team, but most of them are deceived. Most organizations, most teams are average or below average. They just don't think they are. Now, saying it doesn't make it so. Every organization crows about how special they are. Every organization crows about how they they put their citizens first and they're this and they're that and they're all so special. Most of them are only crowing about it. They're not doing it. It's not real. It's just talk. Real is rare. Real high-performing organizations are rare. Real high-performing people are rare. You can't have a high-performing organization without high-performing people. 
If you think you've got a high-performing organization, but your people are average, you don't have a high-performing organization because it's impossible. You can be a high-performing person inside an average-performing organization. So that's how I really want to wrap up today's show. I want to encourage you, you the individual, I want to encourage you to become as high-performing as possible. No matter your role, no matter who you are, no matter what function you fulfill, be as high-performing as possible. Never mind if your team or your organization is average. I'm challenging you, yeah, you, be superior. Do outstanding work. Get used to holding yourself accountable to a standard much higher much higher than the ones that your boss holds you to. Don't waste time judging coworkers who refuse to join. You just do your thing and you become the highest value person possible. Serve and contribute to make other people better. Help everybody around you shine if they will let you. And if they won't let you, then forget it and just stay focused on doing the best work of your life. And keep dating other organizations as you look for a team where everybody is like you. You'll find it. I promise you will find it, but only if you're searching for it consistently. So you have to accept that you've really got two full-time passions. One, doing the best work of your life and searching for a home where you can better thrive. Come on, the podcast is named Grow Great. It's all about growing great and where you're planted matters. So you need to get busy looking for better soil. It's out there. If your team isn't high performing and you want to change that, then I'm going to encourage you to begin by subtracting. Start expecting more. Expect better. Don't accept what you've always accepted. Communicate this thoroughly. But when performance doesn't match your new standard, do something about it. Don't lament it. Don't moan about it. Don't talk about it. Do something about it. Coach it. Correct it. And if coaching it and correcting it fails, then show it the door. Replace it with only the ideal fit. People who ideally fit a high-performing culture, they will produce the ideal outcome. Never forget that average or below average performers, they will never achieve the ideal outcome. If you want to achieve your ideal outcome, while you give every member of your team the best opportunity to achieve their ideal outcome, you're building a high-performing organization. Thanks for watching and listening to Grow Great, a city government leadership podcast. For Lisa Norris, I'm Randy Cantrell. Be well, do good, grow great. The website is growgreat.com.